I don't care where you've been, what you've done, how badly you've messed your life up by bad choices and bad decisions. There's hope in Jesus. Never forget that. And it may not be you, it could be somebody you love, someone you've been praying for. He or she may not be here today, but over the next few weeks, we're gonna be talking about who's your one, that one person that's close to you, that one person in your life that you would love for them to know Jesus. Prayerfully, we will be inspiring our church to go after that one. Randy, I'm so glad that Greg asked you guys to come to church a year ago. I'm glad you guys came. You never know what your invitation might do, what kind of difference it might make. Father, we're so grateful for miracles. And Father, we are thankful this morning that we have freedom in this place to preach the word. Father, take what we've heard in song and Lord, I know Tom, I know where he's been, I know where he is. I'm so thankful he got saved. Countless others in this room, Lord, with testimony after testimony of the faithfulness of God, that right in the middle of our dysfunction and desperation, you reached down and saved us. So now, Father, hide us behind the cross, turn us loose, and let us preach, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Greg. Four baptisms and others who have joined our fellowship and we'll be making it public here at the conclusion of the service. We are experiencing God's grace right now. We as a church, his hand is upon us. I can't explain it all. I don't know it all. I'm just gonna be grateful for it. But all summer long, we've been preaching about being all in. All in in our prayer life. All in in our marriage. All in in raising the next generation. All in. Many of you have shared with me in hallways and emails and texts. Count me in, Joel. I'm all in for the long haul. I think our generation that's been so entitled and so used to getting what we want and when we want it, that when we struggle, when we go through difficulty, when we go through pain, we don't know how to respond. And because of improper discipleship, people have no idea what to do when desperation comes. Prayerfully today, we're going to find some answers together in God's word. So if you have your Bibles, your smartphone, your iPad, or your Kindle, turn first of all with me to the eighth Psalm, Psalm chapter eight. Then in just a few minutes, we will journey to our main text in Luke chapter seven. The psalmist is looking up into the heavens. He is observing the vastness and the incredible overwhelming moment of God's creation. And he says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers. I did a little research background on Psalm 8. Did you know that the diameter of our observable universe is 93 billion light years? 
that's hard for me to comprehend. In fact, he goes on to say the moon, which is about 238,000 miles away, or the stars, which our nearest star is Proxima Centauri, which is 4.24 light years away. And then the psalmist says, which you have set in place. God did it. God created the universe. God created everything. But then he focuses his attention on humanity. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? I know many of you are students of the Old Testament. Uh, Psalm 8 is mentioned again in almost verbatim tones in Psalm 144, verses 3 and 4, where it says, O Lord, what is man that you regard him? Or the son of man that you even think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. We're being reminded of our own mortality. This past week, one of my teammates at West Limestone High School passed away from lung cancer. His family asked me to do his memorial service and I did so on Thursday afternoon. I don't mean this with any disrespect, but I don't mind memorial services for people that are older than I am. But when they start coming for those who are younger than me, it reminds me of my own mortality. All of us in this room, and unless Jesus Christ comes back in the clouds and interrupts us, every one of us in this room are mortal to the point that we will die. That one day this physical body as it is will no longer be. But you will live forever in one of two places. The new Jerusalem heaven or the lake of fire called hell. Two choices. And I know that sounds somewhat black and white, but that's what the Bible says. And we've always tried to tell you the last four years, what does the Bible say about it? What do the scriptures say about it? But then this brings up a question that if we are so frail and seemingly insignificant, why would God consider us at all? I think there is a legitimate biblical reason why God considers us. The Bible says in Genesis 1 that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. You and I, humanity, are created in the image of God. Now, we don't always act like we were created in the image of God, mind you, but yet we are. We are not animals. We are not even the highest form of animals. We are not an inanimate object. We are the crown of God's creation. Many of you are familiar with the book of Job. It is a book of suffering. It is a book that details the life of a man and his family and all the bad things that can come when sometimes there's no obvious reason why it's happening. In Job chapter 7, verse 17 and 18, it says, What is man that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him? You visit him every morning and test him every day moment. I, I believe that sometimes when we look in the mirror and we go, I'm a loser, I'm a nobody. God does not see you that way. And to God be the glory, we're not to see each other that way either. That we are to see the potential in humanity and what humanity can become 
rather than all of our sin and all of our junk and all of our trash and all of the bad things that we do to one another. You know, the psalmist proceeds to answer his own question that he posed in verse 4. Verse 4 again, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Verse 5 answers that. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, than the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. Now, you and I, as humanity, we have an important status in creation, but also we have a very vital function because the psalmist states that you and I are crowned with glory and honor. That's every person you come in contact with, regardless of our skin color, regardless of our nationality, regardless of where we're from or how we talk. That if we're made in the image of God, we have been crowned with glory and honor and we are rulers over all of creation. Look at verses six through nine. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, before we throw our chest out and start beating our chest and saying, man, I'm special. There's something about me. That same reference is used a little lower than the angels about someone else in God's word as well. Hebrews chapter two and verse nine states it this way, but we see him who for a little while, approximately 33 years, mind you, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. So not only have we been given crown and glory and honor as God's choicest of creations, not a higher form of animal, but a human being, Christ Jesus came 100% God, 100% humanity, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus died so we don't have to die. Now, of course, the physical body may die, but who we are never dies. Our spirit, our soul lives forever and forever and forever in one of two places. Today's message is about experiencing God's grace. Pastor Ronaldo on the video clip a few moments ago, he experienced God's grace. There are some of you here today, you need to experience God's grace. So I want you to turn from Psalm 8 over to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter seven, and before I get into the main body, let me give you two verses. When all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just having been baptized with the baptism of John. Now, why do we make a reference to John? This is John the Baptist. Jesus is walking around in the early verses of Luke chapter seven and bragging on John the Baptist. He actually says that there's been no one born of woman that's greater than this guy. So yes, he is touting his ministry. But then people begin to respond. There's a group there, the sinners, the tax collectors, others who declare God just. Why? Because they followed in believers' baptism. But then the Pharisees and the lawyers, the religious crowd, the churchgoers, rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Now, these first two verses sort of set the stage for our main passage down a few verses in verse 36. Look at it with me, please. 
One of the Pharisees, we know him to be Simon, asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Usually, if you extend an invitation to someone to come over to your house and hang out with you and eat some you know, uh, Baptist chicken with you or something, it's because you care about them and you love them. Well, Simon was not sympathetic to Jesus. I think he had an ulterior motive. He was either going to entrap Jesus or find some reason to accuse him. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flax of ointment. The Greek word is perfume or myrrh. And standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the perfume, with the ointment. By all accounts, all the commentaries I consulted, all of the classes that I took in Bible college and seminary, this woman was a prostitute. This woman sold her body for money. She was a woman of reputation. But this woman, evidently, something was happening inside of her heart. Maybe like it's happening in some of our hearts today. And she heard that Jesus was in town. But not only that Jesus was in town, but he was also eating at a prominent Pharisee's house. Now, you've got to understand something about the Pharisees. They love to show off privilege, power, knowledge. They love to have debates. They love to have discourse back and forth. Secular historians record that such dinners involving a dignitary like Jesus were often open to spectators. So you would have people reclining at a table in Eastern culture. They're, they're propped up and they're eating their food and they're having debate. And then there's a group of people just watching them eat and listening to the debate that goes on. So because of this open venue in the Pharisee's house, the woman of reputation, the prostitute, gained entrance. Now let's just pause a moment and think about her courage. I, I think she was in a, a period of desperation in her life, maybe like some of us today. We're trying to find some answers to the questions that we are posing and the questions that people are asking. You see, this woman from this area knew what the Pharisees thought about her. In fact, she knew the law enough that she recognized that Pharisees stoned women to death like her. Yet there was just something different about Jesus. He wasn't like those Pharisees. He wasn't like the lawyers. Have you ever been so desperate that you were willing to go all in and not care what people thought? You didn't care what people said. All you know is you got to get to Jesus. You got to get around people who love Jesus. I believe that's what this woman was feeling. And when she began to cry and began to wash the feet of Jesus with her tears, and then she took her hair and dried his feet, her act of worship made a statement. But it also caught the attention of the religious. The people who didn't worship that way. This woman risked what was left of her reputation to worship and anoint Jesus. She is all in. I think the Lord today is looking for churches who are willing to be all in. Not just maintaining status quo. Not living your life in quid pro quo that if you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you. No, churches and people who will act and live and love and forgive like Jesus Christ. That's the churches he wants to pour out his spirit upon. So why do we hold back in our worship? 
Why don't we go all in? Look at verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee, of course, Simon, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, you know, if Jesus was really a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Let me tell you what 30 years in ministry has taught me. Pharisees love to catch people doing something wrong. You're a bad person. You shouldn't have done that. And they're always pointing out people's faults without recognizing they got faults themselves. They worried about the stick that other people have in their eye rather than the log that's in their own eye. Pharisees always find something to gripe or complain about. Simon the Pharisee was convinced that if Jesus was really a prophet of God, he would have sent this prostitute away. But Simon and the rest of the people at that house are about to learn something. Look at verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, well, say it, teacher. And if you look at the Greek construction of the verse, he was not being respectful. He was being flippant with Jesus. Well, say it, teacher. And praise God, Jesus does. Jesus loved to teach great lessons by telling stories. So he gives him a story. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the equivalent of two years' wages. The other owed 50 denarii, almost two months of wages. And then he looks at Simon. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Well, Simon answered, well, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Let me tell you, as a pastor, I, I'm, I'm called upon by people to give ministry of counsel. And I'm not a good counselor. I'm just simply a pastor that tries to listen and then give, look in the Bible and give wisdom. But I've learned over time that people who have been forgiven much are much quicker to forgive others when they fall. It's like people who've been on a broad path and they were headed toward destruction themselves and they got rescued. And then maybe a sibling or a parent or a friend of their own that's on that same broad path, they seem to have a little bit more grace than others. Than if you always were on the narrow path. Forgiven people forgive people because Jesus forgave them. And I'm learning that. I don't always do that perfectly, but... I know I've been forgiven of a whole lot. Forgiven people forgive people because Jesus forgave them. Well, Joel, where would you get such a crazy thought? Well, the Bible says, 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. So I can love others and forgive others because Jesus first forgave and loved me. That's how this works. Because I've been forgiven of so much, I can forgive others so much. But this was a problem with the Pharisees. They had thought for hundreds of years that as long as they kept the law and they were rule followers, that would be enough. They kept up appearances, religious window dressing. I think it was Brother Keith this past week in staff meeting and we were talking about some things. He says, you know what? You can put lipstick on a pig and it's still a pig. Or you can work all you want on the outside of something but on the inside, if nothing has changed on the inside, they're still the same person. Some of us have been using a lot of lipstick 
for a long time. Look at verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, so now he's focusing upon the prostitute, the woman of reputation, but he's talking to Simon the Pharisee. Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. He said, well, Joel, why is that significant? Well, if you washed a guest's feet in Eastern culture, it was simply the right thing to do. It was like if somebody walks into our house today and it's wintertime, you'll say, may I take your coat? So what he had done, the religious attitude of the Pharisee was disrespectful. It was tantamount to an insult. But this woman of reputation wet the feet of Jesus with her tears. She's crying so profusely that she is, has enough volume of liquid coming out of her eyes that she washes his feet and then takes her own hair and dries his feet. I think this is what Jesus was telling Simon. You have no idea about what being all in is all about. But this woman of reputation does. Let me just take it a step further. I believe Jesus was looking at him saying, your theology don't match up with her theology and her theology's right. Because she understood what being forgiven was. The Pharisee did not. Your religious pursuit of following rules will not get you into heaven. Cross this T, dot that I. And if I do enough of those, my good's going to outweigh my bad one day and I might get to go to heaven. I still have conversations with people today who are biblically literate, who believe that they earn their way to heaven. And then if you have to earn your way to heaven, they don't know until they die whether or not they can go to heaven or not. And the Bible says that these things have been written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Today you can know if you're saved or not. Right here, right now, you can know whether you're saved or not. I didn't say it, the Bible did. And I trust the word of God. Look at verse 45. Jesus goes on to say, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with the perfumed oil, the myrrh, the ointment. You got to understand about this woman of reputation. She more than likely was not wealthy. She went from trick to trick. She went from liaison to liaison. So this alabaster flask of perfume was pure nard. It was harvested in the Himalayas. It, it was costly. A, a lot of money came from it. But because the woman had chosen to go all in, no more masking of the stench of sin with the sweet scent of perfume. What are you talking about, Joel? Well, how appropriate that the perfume that was used in her profession as a prostitute would become the token of her profession of faith. She anted up by pouring out every last drop of it at the feet of Jesus. She no longer has to hide. You know, church should be the one place on the planet where people that have problems shouldn't have to hide. But because most of us can't hold our tongue, and under the pretense of a prayer request, we violate what somebody has shared with us, that people hide as much in here as they do out there. But not this woman. Not the woman of reputation. There comes a moment 
when you got to come clean. There comes a moment when you unveil the secret shame of sin. There, there comes a moment when we need the full weight of the grace of God. Going all in means radical repentance. And that means we don't do it anymore. I believe that this was a come to Jesus moment for the woman of reputation. And I'm just going to use my sanctified imagination. I believe that after this encounter with the Christ, she found her husband. She settled down and had a family. That she no longer was the woman of reputation. She was the woman found by Jesus. Now be reminded this morning, Jesus is not a liberal. Jesus does not downplay sin. He deals with sin. But he deals with sin in love. He doesn't call out your sin wanting you to die and go to hell. He calls out your sin wanting you to repent and go to heaven. That's what Jesus does. That's how Jesus lived his life. He says in verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, all of us know that would tick the Pharisees off because they didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God. Have you been forgiven? The Bible says in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Brother Randy and Miss Kelly's conversation with Brother Mark Rockwell two weeks ago they repented of their sins and they believed in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus and they follow the Lord in believer's baptism today. Well, Joel, I'm already saved. I already know the Lord and I mess up sometimes. Is there hope for me? Well, of course there is. First John chapter one was written just for us, which says that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see, most of our sins never make the front page of the newspaper. They never make someone's blog post. But we still sin. We mess up. We struggle. We say something we shouldn't say. We go somewhere we shouldn't go. We, we do something that we should not do. We all sin. Well, then here's the hope. That if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we have made him a liar and his word is not in us. So quit walking around like a Pharisee saying that you hadn't sinned because we have. In fact, if you say that you hadn't sinned, you have committed the sin of pride and lying. So what do we do? We just come to Jesus and fall at his feet and say, Lord, here I am. Look at verse 49. Then those who were at the table with him, of course, the Pharisees and the lawyers, began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? You know, Pharisees are going to do what Pharisees do. They couldn't even be excited that this woman of reputation had gotten saved. All they were worried about is what Jesus had said about her sins being forgiven. I think that's the difference between Pharisees and prophets. Pharisees treat people based on their past performance. Prophets treat people based on future potential. Pharisees give people something to live down to. Prophets give people something to live up to. Pharisees write people off. Prophets write people in. Pharisees give up on people. Prophets give them a second chance. Aren't you glad that our God is a God of the second chance?
Jesus was a prophet. Notice this last verse. And then Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, if you read the account, whether it may or may not be the same woman in Mark chapter 14, he says, go and sin no more. You've been forgiven. You've been set free. Don't do this particular sin anymore. Go and sin no more. No one can spot potential like Jesus. In fact, he's got his eyes on some of you this morning. And you probably walked in feeling like the most unlikeliest candidate for God's grace. But yet here we are. The latest addition to my sermon notes is this last quote, and I'm done. And it's from Johann Wolfgang Goethe. And he says it this way, treat a man as he is, and he will remain as he is. But treat a man as he can and should be, and he will become as he can and should be. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did to the woman of reputation in Luke chapter 7. He treated her like she could become. You got people in your family that for whatever reason, you wrote them off a long time ago. They're not going to pass go. They're not going to collect $200. They're just going straight to hell. Maybe we need to rethink. And maybe we need to share Jesus with them just one more time. Maybe we need to invite them to church one more time. It's been said that true spirituality is the place where desperation meets Jesus. You desperate today? I've been desperate before. I've been desperate recently. I don't like all this cancer. I'm just going to be honest with you. People I love. People I go to church with. True spirituality is the place where desperation meets Jesus. Are you all in?